0: We've started the book of Colossians last week. Today we're in chapter one and I'm going to have us read verses three through five after we do what we do every Sunday. Let's remind each other of the gospel first by quoting John three sixteen, then join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father Scriptures today will be on the screen, Colossians 1 verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, and you've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. Ever since I was with you in 1992, I have had the last three churches, including this one twice, uh, use a little motto just to kind of sum up what we're all about. The motto goes like this, we're here for two things, to lift up Jesus and love people. And I think that's a good way to keep before us the main purpose that God has called us to. When I went down to Opelika, they'd been declining for quite a few years. They brought in a consultant. That's what you do, pay somebody a lot of money. And uh, he had come up with a brand new motto, didn't help, but he came up with a brand new motto. And this was the motto the paid consultant gave them, finding people where they are and helping them become fully functioning followers of Christ. So that was printed everywhere, finding people where they are and helping them become fully functional followers of Christ. So I was in one of my first staff meetings and I said, folks, can I just be honest with you? I don't think anybody's driving to church on Sunday, turns to his wife and says, I need to know how to become a fully functioning follower of Christ. That's the way experts talk. That's not the way real people talk. Why don't we make it simple? Let's be here to lift up Jesus and love people. One of the staff members who'd been there for many years told me two years later, she she said, I can't believe how that little simple statement has unified us and gripped our people. Lift up Jesus and love people. I believe God wants to keep things simple. Uh, in fact, we're, we're going to be looking more deeply into the purpose of Colossians. But the reason why Paul wrote Colossians was because there was a cult. They called themselves a new version of Christianity, but they were a cult called the Gnostics. The word Gnostic comes from the Greek word to know. And they were basically saying, we've got deep truth. If you want to go on to the depths of knowledge, come to us. And, they, and you can see that in Colossians 2 verse 8. Where Paul warns them be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition based on the elements of the world rather than Christ don't go down that quote deep road in fact Jesus said this he said the faith is so simple that all you need is the faith of a child he didn't say the faith of a theologian he said all you need is the faith of a child now this same cult will add all kind of extra rules, and we'll see that in chapter two. Well, Jesus fought with the Pharisees. I did a lesson last Wednesday night on our walk through the Gospels with Pastor Steve podcast here in, on, in the church, and I mentioned the fact that the rabbis in that day and time—it's now been put in a book form called the Talmud. They took they took the simple command: remember the Sabbath day and keep to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor, one day shall you rest, and they had. 54 pages in the Talmud of regulations and rules on how to keep the Sabbath. And Jesus looked at this complicated mess they created. He said, hey guys, can we talk? There's really only two rules. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's always making it simple. So in that kind of spirit right now, let me share with you the title of our sermon today. All you need is faith, love, hope, and a Bible. All you need is faith, love, hope, and a Bible. Let's see that now in this prayer that he prays for them. Look at verse four. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. What does the word faith mean? You know, when you send missionaries out and they're taking the Word of God and putting it in a language that's never had the Bible before. They have to find the best way to communicate the truth of the Greek word. John Selwyn went to the Hebrides Islands, uh, New Hebrides Islands in the Pacific. It was a bunch of islands mainly full of cannibals and he won them to Christ. And he was trying to find, how do you take the word faith and, and, and put it in so they can understand it? Well, these particular islands were bound together by people who'd get in their big long canoes and they'd go from one island to the other. And they would step off a dock and put both feet in the canoe and they would take off. And so when he tried to find the right way to define the word faith, he said it means put your weight in. It means when you've taken your last foot off the dock and all of your, you put all of your weight in that canoe, you are trusting that canoe. That's what faith, don't leave anything on the dock. Just step out and get there and put it in the canoe. And I think that's the essence of it. The NIV before its latest update did something unique with John 14. That's the classic verses, you believe in God, believe also in me. They took that word for believe and they translated it this way, trust in God trust also in me I like that so the word faith means to trust here he says you have faith in a person I am trusting in a person you know if we keep it that personal it's faith in a person there's some people that once you get to know them you'd never trust them (laughs) (laughs) I would keep my eyes open when I'm around that person. There's others that when you get to know them, you know you can trust them because you see their character, you see their love, you see their godliness, and say, I can trust that person. I want to tell you this. I am so grateful to be serving with this staff, with the ministers I serve with, with the secretary support staff. I'm so grateful to be serving with the folk I serve with, and I love them and I trust them. In fact, because of the calendar and my age right now, I recently came to Dave and Justin and I said, I trust you guys and I love you and I know you love me. So this is what I'm gonna ask. You've got to take this seriously. If you begin to see that my effectiveness here is diminishing, then I need somebody who'd be who would love me enough to come into my office and say, Pastor, it's time. Time to retire. You got to have somebody that you can trust to give you a message like that. And I said, I'm giving it to you two guys. Y'all come to me when you see that time. The person that I trust most other, most other than Jesus is my wife. And I, I can tell you why I trust her. That she's the best person and the best Christian I know. And she loves me dearly. Uh, everything we have, we have together. My, her name's on everything I got. I mean, if she wanted to today, she could take everything out of our accounts and go to Las Vegas. <laughs> but she's not going to. Because I put my faith, my trust, in someone who is that extraordinary. In fact, my biggest worry in the future is because she loves me so much, I'm afraid that I'll come to a point where I'm gonna demand so much care that she will give too much of herself in caring for me. And and so trust is in a person. Faith is in a person. Well, can we just take this last lesson? It's faith in Christ Jesus. Can you think of anybody more worthy of our trust than Jesus? Anybody more pure, anybody more loving, anyone who's done more for you or I than Jesus has done, we put our faith. So it's all about faith, faith in Christ Jesus. Secondly, it's all about love. But look how it describes love in chapter 1, verse 4. It says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. So it's it's faith in Christ, but it's love for the saints. Now we've got to discuss what in the world this word love means, because the way our world defines love is some kind of tingly feeling. If you love somebody, then when they walk in, you go, "Oh my, come here, let me hug you." <laughs> that's not love. That's a, that's some kind of emotion. The Greek word for love, agape, is the deepest word because the essence of the Greek word for love is to uh, love that is giving. You can see it in John 3.16. For God so loved what he gave. So it's not a matter of emotions. It's a matter of service. So when it says you have love for the saints, that means you're willing to go and do something. Roll up your sleeves and stand by each other. In John 13 34 and 35 Jesus said I give you a new command love one another just as I've loved you you're to love one another by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another here's the deal when he said that he had just taken a towel and washed their feet I bet he was still holding the towel in his hand and said did you just see how I loved you I just washed your feet now that's how I want you to love one another So let let me give you some examples of love given by children. Rebecca age eight said this, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Here's Chrissy age eight. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making making them give you any of theirs. Tommy, age six, said this, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends after, even after they know each other so well. And Elaine, age five, said this, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. So you're known for your faith in Jesus and your love for the saints. But I want you to notice they're connected. And if you go through and I could have given a host of verses, I'm only going to point to two. But you'll see in Paul's writings that oftentimes he puts the two connected together. It's never one apart from the other. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Do you see faith and love connected? Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love of each one of you has for each other is increasing. I'm so grateful your faith is growing, your love is growing for people. So we've got to have both. Folks, there is no such thing as a personal faith. We are saved by faith in Christ, but it never stays alone. I'm also commanded to love my brother and sister. Uh, one of the things that happened with the COVID, there's, there's, God always works things out for good. The fact that we have the modern services and the growth with young people came out of our trying to figure out how do we space people when we came back from COVID. We, we went to five services to space folk and I thank God for what that's done for us. But folks, one of the things that's happened because we learned how to do church online is that we have a host of people who've decided online is my church. I remember when we first started getting people to come back, I had uh, some folks who said to me, you know, pastor, I've gotten used to watching the church with my pajamas on. It's going to be hard for me. I almost decided we needed a pajama day like they do in elementary school just to get those folk back. But, uh, but folks, Louis Giglio recently said church was never meant to be a couch event. Now I praise God for those who, this is our way of minister to them because they can't get out. I know a host of people that listen to us on WHKP because that's their only connection because they they can't get out. Thank God for that. And we're grateful to minister to them. But one of the things you do if you really have faith in Christ is you get involved in a church and you start loving the people who are there. And here's what I want to warn you about. (laughs) The people who are there are not perfect. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this about us. We have treasures in jars of clay. You look at any Christian long enough, you'll find some treasure. I see God in them. You look at them long enough, I see clay. We're always a mixture of treasure and clay. And I'm called to love people. And I'm called to to say to you, you're not looking at 100% treasure here. There's a whole bunch of clay here. So we love each other with treasure and clay. The third thing we need. All you need is faith and love and hope. Look at verse Uh, five because why we we love we have faith we have love because of the hope reserved for you in heaven where does that faith and love come from it springs from the fact that we have a certain hope I know what's out there beyond this life and and we're eternity minded we're eternally focused and, and folks, that is so important because the only way you're going to get through this life is look beyond the trials you're going to experience in the 70 to 80 years we have here to the glory that's coming. I got called yesterday afternoon, ended up with two people at Pardee that, that my wife and I ministered to. One was a man who is at the end of his fight with cancer. And as I went in to see him, I told him I'll be back today at four. As I went in to see him... I said, can I share with you some scripture that encourages me? And I, I went through the book of Romans chapter eight and showed a lot of verses, but here's a man that's at the end. He's gone through the chemo. It's, it's not worked. Having trouble breathing. Told me he didn't know if he's going to leave the hospital. Look at Romans eight eighteen. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us said, so friend, I don't know what you've gone through. and I'm sure it's hard. But I'll tell you this. When I meet up with you in heaven and I look at you and say, was it worth it? He's going to say, can't compare. We can, we can hang in there because of the hope that's waiting for us in heaven. We can do the right things with our life. Sacrifice our money. Sacrifice our time. Because we have our focus on eternity. Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. We had the second largest bank in American history fail this last week, and I was reading this morning that Mark Cuban lost millions of dollars in that bank. Don't you think he should have put it in the bank of heaven instead? It'd been more secure. If you'd been sending that treasure up there, but it's not just your money. This keeping eternity, the sacrifice of your time. My parents and myself and my parents, we all at the same time became committed Christians. Right about the time I was ninth grade and it changed everything in our lives. When my brother and I left high school, my dad and mom did something to change the way they did vacation. My dad, by that time, was given given three weeks a year for vacation. And since they just had my little sister, she was nine years younger, they said, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna use all three weeks for a mission trip. And they did a state mission trip. They would go somewhere like the North Georgia mountains and work among the poor up there. They did a national mission trip and they went all over the country to, to find different places that they could go spend that week. And then once a year, they went to a very poor part of, of um, Jamaica, up on top of a mountain. And they went there eight years in a row and spent a week there ministering in that church in Jamaica. In fact, that pastor's wife had a baby and they named him after my dad. But here's, a, here's my dad and my family. He said, we're not going to Hawaii we're going to take this time and we're going to use it for God. How could they do that? Because they weren't focused on right now. They were focused on eternity. But it's not just that. Focusing on eternity gives us the courage to face persecution or even martyrdom. Look at chapter 5 verse 10 of Matthew Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One of the bravest people last century was a German theologian pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He stood against Hitler because he saw what he was doing. And he came to America, was teaching in a seminary in New York City, when in 1939 the war broke out and he felt like, I've got to go back. The seminary begged him, please stay here in safety because you're on Hitler's bad list. He said, no, if I don't suffer with my people in the war, how can I minister to them after the war? Well, he went and he got arrested and he was put in a prison camp. And then one month before Hitler himself committed suicide on April 9th, 1945, the command came to the commandant that he was to be hung. The commandant allowed him to do one last chapel service. So he got all the folks that wanted to together and he preached to them. And he looked at them and one English RAF pilot said this, his last words were this. This is not the end for me. This is the beginning. He knew he was going to life. This is not the end. This is the beginning. Now, because we keep our focus on that eternal hope, that changes the way we view life. Can you imagine the difference between us and them? Those who don't have the hope. In fact, Paul says in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We have hope, not those who have no hope. Oh, years ago, there were two soldiers on the same train going to Chicago. One of them kept looking, saying, how long will it be? I can't wait to get there. He was going to see his parents. He had leave time, and he couldn't wait to get to Chicago and see his family. On the same train was another soldier who was in handcuffs, handcuffed to an MP. And he was heading to Chicago for his court-martial. And he kept wondering, can we slow down? I don't wanna get there because of that. That's the difference between the two of us. So all you need is faith, love, hope, and last of all, all you need is a Bible. Look at me at chapter one, verse five, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you've already heard about this hope in the word of truth. We had sitting in the back last hour, a member of our church, he's the vice president of Fruitland, Scott Thompson, one of the most brilliant people i've ever met he loves to go downtown Asheville and have conversations with folk i try to go downtown Asheville at least once every 20 years but uh but he goes every two weeks and just starts conversations he was raised in a more liberal uh, christian church he said there's nothing to that and so he tried buddhism for a while baha'i for a while and finally a conservative christian said to him have you thought about reading the bible literally and he asked him to read John, but he decided he'd start with Genesis. So he read Genesis, and then he went to where his friend had said John, and then he read Romans, and he became a Christian. Because our faith comes from the word of truth. And I want you to know, folks, I want you to know what you're holding when you hold that Bible in your hands. What I was looking at when I had my Bible on a stand this morning as I woke up this morning and got with my God. Do you realize what this book is? Emile Calais was a Frenchman in World War I. He was one of those in the trenches. He'd been raised in a secular home. He was an atheist. He thought there was nothing to Christianity. But boy, if they put you in a foxhole for a long time, you think about what is the meaning of life. So he survived World War I, went to college, and he got a leather-bound journal. He said, I'm going to make for me a book that will give me comfort and settle all my questions. So as he went through his schooling, every time he read something he thought was profound, he wrote it by hand into that journal. He said, I'm going to get my book, the book I'll be able to turn to. And finally, when it was full, he decided to sit down and read this book of the greatest things. And he was so empty. Meanwhile, his wife, who was empty too, had recently gone to a French Protestant church, walked in, found the pastor and said, could you give me a Bible? And when he said to her, this is so disappointing, I thought this book, she said, well, don't get mad at me, but I went to church recently, and I got a Bible, he said, hand it to me. He said that he, quote, chanced upon the Beatitudes when he opened it up. And as he read it, something happened to him. He said, I kept reading through Matthew. He said, by the time I read through it, I felt like I was in the presence of the one I was reading about, and that changed him. He became a Christian that night, and he spent his life as a professor of theology at Princeton University. Another example of how alive this book is were two men who translated the the Greek uh, into English. Many of you here may remember an old paraphrase called the Phillips Translation. I enjoyed it myself when I was a young Christian, very refreshing. There was another man who was a secular Greek scholar named Dr. E.V. Ryu, And he was hired by Penguin Books simply to do a scholarly translation from Greek into English of the Gospels. He wasn't a Christian when he began, but he became a Christian as he translated. Well, they did an interview together, and I've got a little bit of the transcript. And Phillips was talking to E.V. Ryu, and he said this. Did you get the feeling that the whole material is extraordinarily alive? I got the feeling that the whole thing was alive, even while one was translated. Even when I did a dozen versions of a particular passage, it was still living. Did you get that feeling? Dr. Rue replied, I got the deepest feeling that I possibly could have experienced. It changed me. My work changed me. I came to the conclusion that these words bear the seal of the Son of Man and the Son of God. I can't wait till mornings. That's one of the reasons I get up. I can't wait to get up with my Bible open and go in there. I was in John 14 this morning in my quiet time. You can't beat that. Here I am reading the words in red, looking at my Lord Jesus. It's so alive. My wife and I have had a passion for years. We are constantly urging people get in the Word. I had the privilege of meeting with two teens who went through a horrible tragedy in the last couple of weeks, and when when they came to see me for the second time this week, I handed them both Bibles, and I had them marked. I said, "I want you to, because you're close. I want you to read these. Start here and read these next. Start with Luke. Read John, and I want you to read because I said you're not going to be the same if you do that. This will change your life. So here it is. This is what it's all about." All we need is faith, trust. Have you gotten both feet into the boat yet? All we need is love. Roll up your sleeves. Love God's people. All we need is hope. When you look to the future, is there something that encourages you? And all we need is a Bible. Get into it and watch your faith grow. Let's pray. Lord, I pray your blessing that you'd stir us up to love you, trust you more, love each other, Be what you saved us to be, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.